Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Joining me this week is Sky Sports WSL reporter Lindsay Hooper. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. Any excuse to speak about women's football and I'm there. So you are the Sky Sports WSL reporter, but I feel like we may have got you on at a little bit of a bad time because there was actually no <laughs> WSL this week. I know, that, I know. But that doesn't mean that there hasn't been any football at all and nothing that we can't talk about. There were both World Cup qualifiers and also very exciting international friendlies happening all across the board. So we do have lots to chat about today, but it does seem only right to start with England's trip to North Macedonia on Friday night. So Lotta Wobbenmoy and Alex Greenwood both had to leave the camp due to ongoing injury management. So Everton player Gabby George was called up to replace them. Chelsea also seemed to be nursing a bit of a COVID outbreak as Neve Charles and Beth England were sent home for testing positive. Marianne Mielda was also sent home from her Norway camp too. But now both players have rejoined the squad ahead of their fixture against Northern Ireland. As well, newly crowned captain Leah Williamson also had to sit this game out due to a concussion as she suffered a head injury in Arsenal's 5-0 win against Leicester last week. But to be fair, that's kind of where the negativity ended for England as they did win the game 10-0. Beth Mead kicked off the scoring in the sixth minute and they came tumbling in after that. I won't cover every single goal because we will absolutely be here for an eternity. <laughs> but throughout the game, Beth Mead scored four, Ella Toon bagged a hat-trick, Georgia Stanway got two, and Ellen White put one in the back of the net, bringing her total goals for England to 50, a feat that only top goal scorer Wayne Rooney has reached. The Lionesses are top of their World Cup qualifying group, having scored 63 goals in seven games and keeping seven clean sheets. Now, this was another big scoring game for the Lionesses, but it's nice to see them be clinical in their scoring when it comes to these sorts of games. The bright star of the season, though, really seems to be Beth Mead, and she was famously left out of the squad for the Olympics. Do you think that this has spurred her into the position that she is right now? I certainly think it got to her. Yeah, I remember speaking to her at the very start of the WSL season and you could tell she was fired up. She was motivated. It probably gave her that extra kick, I think, to think, no, not everything is secured, not everything's guaranteed. As much as most of us were were absolutely taken back by the fact that she was admitted, the same with Alex Greenwood. I mean, I've watched Alex in the last few matches for City and I've just thought, how on earth did she miss being at the Olympics? So I think there's a few players there that think that their future's not certain. We've seen this outbreak that's happened and different forms of illness that has taken players away from the England team for this camp. And they've coped admirably without them. So there is that competition element, which I'm sure Serena Wiegmann will say as manager is absolutely what you want. You want to know that there's competition for places because then you get the top, top performance out of these players, even when they're a bit jaded and have had long seasons. Completely. You don't want players to get complacent. And as well, it must be fantastic for Serena to be able to sit back and know that she has that squad depth there in place. And she has the ability to chop and change if needs be. But Talking on that, the side of Lionesses has such a roster of young talent to choose from for the upcoming Euros. Players like Ella Toon, Lauren Hemp is only 21, Georgia Stanway, Alessia Russo, Ellie Roebuck, 
and also the potential return of Chloe Kelly, which is kind of bubbling under the surface and we don't know whether will she, she'll be able to make it or not. But for you, is there a certain young player that you'll think will be pivotal for the upcoming Summer Euros? Lauren Hemp has to be there for me. I think she's been one of the players of the WSL season. I think as well, there is something about being a young player and having no fear that is essential to get that quality in tournament football. You need to have those sorts of players, your creative players, the players that will ball carry, that will take on others. Because when it comes to the singing the national anthem before a game, I do think that it means more sometimes to the older players. Um, and I don't mean to take anything away from debuts and call-ups. I'm sure when you speak to a lot of players, they'll, they'll recall those and, and be so proud. But I just think that the, the weight of the flag and the weight of that national pride and also the, the weight of pressure, because there is some pressure with the home Euros for England uh, this summer, that I do think you, you need to have those, what I would call wild card jokers up your sleeve. Just, you, you know, you need something unpredictable. And a lot of teams now will be, able to prepare to face an England team they will, will, will watch you know video analysis a lot of their games in the lead up to this from from the World Cup in France and and they'll know certain players very well so why not spring a surprise and give them some players and some valuable minutes to players that have earned it this domestic season yeah I completely agree with you there I think it'll be really exciting in the Euros if we see if we do see the Lionesses come up against a team like Spain and then you see that kind of club and also country rivalry of Lauren Hemp coming across on a Badgier which is always a brilliant battle when you see them play together in in Manchester but it'd be also wonderful to watch them play against each other for the national team. Also, another big bit of news. Leah Williamson has been named England captain, finally, after leading the team throughout Serena Wiegmann's management due to the injury of Steph Horton. Does this show that the Lionesses are really entering a new era? Potentially. I wouldn't want to close the door on Steph for good because I think she's been a really valuable captain. And I'm sure that that is what, you know, we spoke and started by speaking about Beth Mead and her appetite. I'm sure Steph has got a huge appetite to come back and be captain once more. But I think it's the right call for this tournament, certainly. And what happens at this tournament probably dictates what happens for Leah Williamson in that role going forwards. Um, I think Steph has been in and out because of injury. It's been obviously an awful season for her to have that be plagued by that um and it is I think essential that you have consistency in an England team I think it's really good as well that these announcements have come so early on everyone knows where they stand often we've had calls like this made at the 11th hour and I, I think that can unsettle teams so I'm quite happy as an England supporter to be able to say we know who our captain's going to be we know who the vice captain is you know congratulations as well to Millie Bright and to Ellen White um, for, for being in that lineup too. But for Steph, I wouldn't think that the door is closed completely. And I, I don't think we should be starting to herald a new era just yet. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. I'm sure Steph will be fighting to get back into the team as soon as she's back up to fitness. You talk about consistency though. And I personally am a little bit worried when it comes to the goalkeepers. 
um, because famously um, the men's 2010 World Cup, um, the England team spoke about how difficult it was to play because they didn't know what goalkeeper was going to be playing and kind of starting from the back and having that level of consistency is a really positive thing. Serena's just come out and said that even though she played Hannah Hampton against North Macedonia, Mary Earps is still looking to be her number one for the upcoming tournament. But we're only just now seeing Ellie Roebuck get back up to full fitness. Do you think the fact that there's a question mark over who's going to be starting as a goalkeeper is going to affect the team? Yes, to a degree, because I think that the way that that relationship with a back three or a back four, whatever Serena decides to go with, um, that has to be rehearsed. It has to be muscle memory. You have to know each other inside out. And I think you can afford, and I've always said this for tournament football, you can afford to rotate maybe one player in, in that setup occasionally, Ultimately, that's the, the most secure part of the pitch. And I think you, you've got to decide who's going to be your number one soon. You know, we've seen this announcement for, from the captaincy. I would love to see that announcement soon as well. I think the earlier, the better. Uh, what I would say is I do understand the predicament that Serena's in with this. I think you've got three very good goalkeepers who have very different qualities. I would love a hybrid of these three together and we would have the ultimate goalkeeper. There are times that Mary Earps, I've seen this season in WSL, pull off some brilliant saves. Absolutely top draw, fantastic. I think her stretch and reach is potentially the best. I think her mental aptitude as well to the game I think she often gets herself in a good good mindset and she her reading of it is pretty good you know coming off the line when she needs to making herself big I do think she has a moment in her though and I watch her and I think oh there's maybe over the period of a tournament a moment where she could be at fault for something uh I don't feel as much that with Hannah and Ellie um, Ellie, I think obviously her coming back as well, we've got to allow for the fact that she has been away and that she is still very young. But I think she's got a calmness to her um, that is beyond her years. I think that her reading of the game is brilliant. And she has played with Manchester City, which makes me think when you look at the makeup of the England squad, how many players come from different teams, we're going to have a huge abundance from Manchester City. So I think those relationships are good. She she does look for runs from the wing. She's released balls early. That's the sort of goalkeeper that we're that we're now used to watching modern day. So I quite like that. And Hannah Hampton, when you are down at the bottom and having to produce save after save all the time, she's called into action so often that I would say she's probably form for making saves. But what we don't know about her is her focus for a match where she might not see as much of the ball. And that was the first time that we were watching this game against North Macedonia, being able to see how she coped playing in a team that has the ball more, that is making those attacks more and that she isn't relied on as much. Um, I think that's a completely different skill as well that we're yet to really see from her. I think it's really funny that you mentioned that because even when she played in the... um in the Arnold Clark Cup against Spain, obviously there was quite a re- relentless attack on her throughout the game. And I think her um, her vision was, was shown really well in that fixture. Um, it's a really interesting one because at the moment, Mary seems to be the, the most full fit, 
but Ellie Roebuck is kind of like the natural choice for that position because you I think you know deep down and this is coming from I I know I say on this podcast I try and be as impartial as possible I am a Manchester United fan but even I can step back and say Ellie Roebuck is is a very very good goalkeeper but I watched the League Cup final and she wasn't taking any of the goal kicks it was always passed across to Alex Greenwood and so it's making sure that she's still at her full fitness when it comes into that position because if you pull something throughout um throughout the tournament she has a problem with her thigh again that might spiral into um other issues that kind of puts us off um puts us off course in the rest of the rest of the tournament but also with the resurgence of Norway and Ada Hedeberg's return the resilience of Northern Ireland (laughs) and the fact that we could also only churn out a 1-0 win over Austria in World Cup qualifiers we're kind of realizing that our group's not going to be a walk in the park as it potentially looked like it was going to be when it was drawn who would be your first name on that team sheet First name right now. Um, oh, it's so tough, actually. I'm it's like very torn. difficult. I'm yeah. really torn. Um, I think now that she's been named captain, it clearly has to be Leah, who's first on. Mm. I also like, I, I always refer to Leah as looking a bit like a gazelle. I love how she she can take the ball from defence into, into midfield and glide across the pitch while she's doing it. Um, she's always looking for passes as well. I think she's probably... Uh, the number one on the team sheet at the minute but I I have to say I think I would put in put in Lauren Hemp yeah pretty high up and I know she was sort of our differential like we were talking about her like she was an option earlier but I I think she's an essential actually yeah yeah she's really essential to kind of lighting a fire in the in the England side I think is a nice way of putting it Um, but talking about our top goal scorer Ellen White is just now three goals away from matching Wayne Rooney's all-time England goal-scoring record. Do you think this reflects how much of a prolific striker she's been through this achievement, both for England and also Manchester City? Yeah, I've watched Ellen White for a very long time. So I remember watching her in her days at Birmingham and in different roles. Um, What I always used to... I always used to appreciate her work rate and her movement. I think she's got brilliant movement. But what she's introduced into her game, certainly in the last five, six years, is clinical finishing. And I still think now when I watch her and I watch City in their in their last WSL game, um, we were covering that on Sky Sports. And actually Bunny Shaw played the first half and Ellen White came on as a sub. And I like Bunny. She's got some potential, but she she mithers on the ball sometimes she isn't decisive with her finishing she doesn't go for it first time and I look at Ellen and I just think she's just always wanting to go for goal and she will do that she she knows where the goal is after having a very long experience career as well so she's she's just got that confidence now that if she gets half a glimpse or half a chance she'll she'll take it now we've seen in a Lioness's shirt, how brilliant that can be. And in France, she was exceptional and she hasn't let us down. So she has to be given the nod ahead of anybody else as well, in my opinion. Um, The record is much of a muchness for me. I'm not so hung up on that. It's great when players achieve those feats, but I'm sure herself, she'd say that's not something that's in the forefront of her mind she just wants to win goals for England she wants to score for England if that results in her being the top 
goal scorer fantastic but um it's just about the movement and making sure that she she continues with that and that's why coming back to something I said earlier that the way that this team is constructed together I think it's important that the relationships some of those key relationships that we've seen at domestic level follow through into the national team so if we've got three or four players from City playing together um two or three players from United three or four players from Chelsea you know we'll see those those relationships just follow on naturally into the into the England team, which I think when you don't have that much of a run up to a tournament, when you don't have bundles of time together, when you've had COVID protocols to deal with the last couple of years, I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting you mentioned that about Ellen White kind of in, in those tournaments and, and how she doesn't let us down. You saw the same with GB over the summer as well because the Rachel Daly goal ended up being given as an own goal deflection. That meant that Ellen White scored every single one of the goals that Team GB scored over the summer, which is crazy. And there's been a lot of speak as to whether Alessia Russo should take that number nine position because of Ellen White's um, form for club. But as you said before, because there's such a a prolific amount of City players in the squad, then potentially that link up would be better if it did stay with Ellen White. But finally, for our talk of the Euros as of today, um, seven of the games, including a full final at Wembley, have now sold out. There was a huge Hooray. spur of interest. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's brilliant, isn't it? And there was a huge spur of interest um, in the WSL um, post World Cup in France. Do you think it will be the same after the Euros? Yeah, I don't think we've actually capitalised yet on the Lionesses in major tournaments. And that is in part the fault of some of the organisers, I think, in the game. Um, I think a lot has been done and I don't want to criticise too much, but I think there have been huge opportunities missed. I think off the back of Canada in 2015, um, a lot more could have been done to try and get people through gates I think the marketing the scheduling I mean the scheduling of fixtures is always going to be one of one of the bugbears I think of trying to get the game to the next level I think after France we then had Covid um, and I think that there was an opportunity missed there as well so I think this is it I think this is the opportunity it's a home Euros it's an England squad full of talent full of names, household names that we now all know. It's that crossover period between the lionesses that were, the ones that brought us success in the past to the ones that will in the future. Um, there's a handing over, I think, of a baton there to some degree. Um, and I think, I think if we don't capitalise off the back of a summer where the stadiums are going to be full, we're going to have a feel-good factor in our own country hopefully England go a very long way in this competition as well then I would wonder what has to happen for us too and I think we've had a few bites at the cherry and this time it has to it has to work this time we have to get our teeth into it mm, yeah and I, and, and I do think that marketing uh, around teams is huge the scheduling as we've mentioned um that has to be right so that fans can carry on but it's also that momentum you know you've got to you've got to be in there with those messages straight away off the back of this tournament so as we're recording this now and we're talking I hope there are people behind the scenes working on those 
campaigns to try and get the fans that come to the Euros into their matches week in, week out, because I think the first few few weeks will be critical. Yeah, completely, really completely. It's a good thing about keeping the talent as well that they will have seen in the Euros, in the UK too, and in the WSL. And on that note, I think it's a very good time to talk about the Netherlands and how they took on Cyprus in their World Cup qualifiers. They managed to beat the Cypriots 12-0. But the reason why we're speaking about this game today is because Viv Miedemar managed to score six goals in this fixture, a double hat-trick. Her ex-Arsenal teammate, Jill Raud, also managed to score a hat-trick. And Berenstein, Spitzer and Brooks all put one away too. Miedemar has an absolutely crazy 91 goals in 107 games for the Netherlands. It's also notable that she's 25 years old. <laughs> I know we throw the term greatest of all time around quite a lot, but do we think Viv just is one of the best players in women's football that we're going to see? Yeah, one of, absolutely. Um, that's not to say that there isn't even more to come, which yeah. feels incredible to say. Um, but I, I watch her a lot in WSL. Um, I think she's changed since Black Stenius has arrived at Arsenal. Um, she's always indicated that she prefers this deeper lying position um, and being able to link up with those in front of her. She doesn't want to be the last forward. And that encourages me, actually, that maybe she'll stay. Maybe she'll stay in WSL because she's she's started to get what she wants. And when when Viv is happy and carefree, then she scores six. So that would indicate to me that her mindset right now is is in good shape. Uh, she she must be satisfied now. Hopefully that's because she's satisfied with where she is. But maybe she's satisfied because she knows what she's doing in the future. I don't know. But um, I I would like to see her stay in WSL for sure. I think that's that's kind of the big question there because there's obviously loads of talk as to whether she will stay at Arsenal and renew her contract, especially because of the lack of calibre of trophies that Arsenal has won in recent years. They've just been kicked out of the Champions League, for example, in the quarterfinals. Now, with her skill, I imagine she should she could go wherever she wanted to. But where do you think would be the best fit for a player like Viv? I feel that if she's not at Arsenal uh, this time next year, she'll be at Barcelona. Yeah. And I can't I, really see past that. Yeah. The exciting style of play that Barca have mm. is is unmatched and the sort of thing, the kind of the freedom and the, and the space to the space to play as well. The only other one that I'd think of is potentially Wolfsburg, but she spoke herself um, about the culture of German teams when she was playing at Bayern and might not want to return to that. So I'd understand if wanting to go elsewhere, but it's those sorts of squads that are going to be challenging for the for the World Cup. But the two games we've spoken about so far have also seen double-digit goals. Is it just a fact of life for World Cup qualifying that that is going to happen? Or do you think the system kind of needs to be fixed and changed? It does need to be changed. If we go back to November when England scored 20 against Latvia, uh, Belgium scored 19 in that same match round as well. Um, that can't do anything for these teams that, that are being beaten by that amount of goals. It can't. It can't progress the game. Yes, they're meeting each other, but I don't think it, it does anything for either side. I don't think they really learn that much from these fixtures. So something is absolutely needed to bridge that gap 
maybe a Nations League. I know Nadine Kessler um, has spoken about this already and said it's something they're looking at introducing. It might not necessarily take the form of a Nations League competition, but it will be something similar. Um, so I, I don't have any doubts that this is going to change and it will change soon. Yeah. On the other side of the world, though, Australia and New Zealand came head to head in their first of a duo of friendlies. They are the two countries that are hosting the 2023 World Cup. So it's great to see them play each other on home soil. But this game was a really dramatic one. I think it's fair to say that Australia were definitely the favourites going into the fixture, but they took it right to the wire. Anna Green scored an absolutely gorgeous goal in the 32nd minute from a looping assist down the left hand side of the pitch. And the Ferns were relentless defending from that point onwards. The Aussies hit the post and they had goals that just scraped over. Um, but in the five minutes of injury time, clinched it for the Matildas. Emily Van Eggman found the back of the net in 90 plus four. And with the last hit of the game, of all people, of course it would be Sam Kerr, headed one home and the Matildas won 2-1. The two teams will also be playing each other again on Tuesday. It was a really dramatic game and such a shame the Ferns couldn't hold on. Do you think that it kind of shows that the resilience that top teams have to kind of clinch games in that sort of situation? Yes, I also think it shows that the teams that are playing in adverted commas catch-up are very much getting better organised, better coached, I think that's the key. I think the coaching around some teams now, um, when you when you look at what used to be maybe a top three or four in the world, I think I think there's 12 teams now that are very good, very, very good. So that's that's great for, for us, for the spectacle, for the entertainment. Um, it's getting a bit more similar as well, I think, in international football to what we see in WSL, where there can be a huge surprise on the cards. It might mean that when it comes to World Cups, we managed to finally topple the USA's dominance and see some other huge superpowers evolving. So it's exciting times right now. Um, I think from Australia's point of view, they are one team that I think has just steadily just been there. I don't see them as hugely improving. Like if I took New Zealand as, an, as a contrast, I think they've massively improved given the caliber of players they've got the time that they've had with them in camps um there's certainly an understanding now that defensively they have to be more robust uh we've seen goalkeeping improve across the board I think and then I look at Australia and some of the talent they have in the squad um and you think well yeah they could they could go on a run to the semi-finals of the next world cup do I see them as finalists or do I see them as winning trophies yet I, I don't think I do because they do squander chances as well um I think coming back to us talking about Ellen White the perfect combo for me would be Ellen White and Sam Kerr because Ellen's got that that nose for goal and clinical finish and will take an opportunity but doesn't often get that many of them within a 90 minute period Sam Kerr is that player that will get 10 chances and score two of them um, and I think as a as a combo that could be could be really really Very dangerous <laughs> dangerous yeah. Um, but Sam Sam clearly has the clinical side of her game to work on. Yeah, because the amount of chances she gets, she could be up there with figures that you were talking about for Viv, couldn't she? 
it's a very good point actually um because you do watch Chelsea sometimes like Chelsea in the WSL sometimes and think they've got so many chances for shots on goal and then they clinch one like when they played Aston Villa um the other the other week and won one nil and yes it was an amazing goal that she did score but they had to grind that out and only manage to get a one nil game in in injury time but it's making me really excited for the world cup next year we've not even got the euros out of the way yet as you mentioned before the usa has dominated for the last two world cups but i think we saw especially in the olympics this summer that they really are not invincible anymore do you predict any upset do you think it's the turn for another team to lift the trophy who are you backing i do i think it's i think it's somebody else's turn i think a team from europe will win the next world cup fair Fair. That's that bold, bold statement there, especially with Can- how well Canada did in the Olympics. I know. I yeah, know yeah. 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 A little mention of the USA, though. Um, Christy Mewis made her, um, came on in the 9 1 win over Uzbekistan. And it means that her and her sister Sam are the first sisters to represent their country um, since Laurie and Ronnie Fair. Bit of trivia for you there. But on the other side to that, they did, the USA did have one goal scored against them, um, Norbieva the player who scored for Uzbekistan was the first player to score against the US in American soil since the pandemic, a long, long time. But turning to look again for another one of the home nations hoping to clinch qualification for the World Cup next summer, Wales took on France at home. The game was also probably closer than you would expect. Wales challenges the team ranked fourth in the world throughout the fixture. France went ahead through goals by Renard and Marie-Antoinette Katoto, but the Red Dragons drew one back through Chelsea's Sophie Ingle in the 71st minute. Unfortunately, though, they couldn't convert another goal and the game ended 2-1. I guess it shows what happens when football's invested in. A country of three million people can genuinely take on a stall of the game like France and come away disappointed the fact that they lost. It shows they really have something to offer. How exciting is it that they're in a position to compete? Well, they should be thrilled at the minute because they're they're clearly experiencing a spell in football that they've not experienced before. So um, I look at some of the quality within the squad. You mentioned Sophie Ingle there. I mean, what a player she's been for Chelsea. I often think she gets overlooked as well. Um, we look at Reading um, and the amount of Welsh players in that team that are playing with each other week on week. So I think, again, that can be transferred into the national team. I I honestly think Wales are capable of causing upsets, similarly in the sense that I think New Zealand could, um, and, and other teams that maybe don't have, they maybe don't have star, star quality from one to 11, but they've got enough that on a day they could hold firm and, and nick something on the counter-attack, one nil or whatever. So that you have to be wary of teams like this. It makes it a better spectacle for all of us, I think. Um, and I want to see the same from Scotland. I want to see the same from Northern Ireland, um, although maybe not this week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we, want, we want the smaller home nations as well to, to be able to compete. And I think there's more investment coming. I think more investment still needs to come in order for them to go to the next level. But um, the signs and the, and the early signs are good. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Northern Ireland there because we're seeing a lot more 
interest in the game from all of the home nations, England versus Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland is due to break records to be the most attended women's football game ever in Northern Ireland, which would be fantastic to see. Is it important to grow the game equally in all of the nations, not just kind of stick to certain areas of England as we're potentially seeing at the moment? Oh, yeah. I mean, it goes without saying. It needs it needs more. Um and I and I do think as well that this game this week will will be a great shop window for Northern Ireland. Um, they they need to really try and ramp up the media coverage that they're getting. I I do see and read more than I did, but there's still loads more that can be done. And maybe it's because England, in a way, have set that standard. You know, they've had some success. Um, bringing back a bronze medal was was the catalyst for it. And there's been enough pressure applied to the press to be able to get uh, more column inches, more coverage, more cameras at games. That needs to happen. That needs to happen around, um, certainly for the Scottish League, for for Wales, for Ireland and Northern Ireland. They need to invest in that um, because it does bear fruit. And we're starting to see that now. Um, but we've had to apply so much pressure in those areas. It hasn't been given um, the sponsorship deals, you know, and I, and I also appreciate the argument. I, I remember speaking to a player um, around Team GB for the Olympics who wasn't part of the Lionesses, was, was one of the other home nations and felt that the sponsorship and the, the boot deals and the kit deals, they just don't get any of that. So they're already behind and they'd like to be seen on an equal playing field field. with them yeah yeah it's very interesting you say that obviously not a home nation but I feel like Ireland as a team as well is getting a lot they have sponsorship from Sky Ireland and uh, partnership with Cadbury Milk uh, Dairy Milk which is always fun to see football (laughs) team sponsored by a chocolate brand I'd love that Um, but they they seem to be doing a lot of um, kind of positive promotion for them I don't know if it's just because obviously we're kind of seeing it from an echo chamber if you're going out to look for it because of course you'd be interested in that sort of stuff but it's very good to see that they're being supported by kind of big big name brands before we move on to the National League Lindsay as you're here I have to ask you work for Sky Sports um, on the WSL as you mentioned Obviously, we're all very excited for the brand new TV deal signed with Sky Sports and BBC showing games. So far, it seems to be a success. How have you found it? Oh, it's been it's been fantastic from the opening weekend. You know, I was there at the Emirates um, Arsenal spring in a real surprise on Chelsea. I have to say as well, the name um, that day was Beth Mead. And if I can go back to the earlier question of another name that would be high up on the starting list for England right now, it has to be Beth Mead as well, doesn't it? Um, but yes, coming back to it, I think that we've had we've had a lot of brilliant picks at Sky. So I look at the the matches that we've had. We had the shock result when Birmingham beat Arsenal. We've covered Reading beating Chelsea. So some of those that just make it more competitive and more interesting coming into the title run-in. Um, I've loved it. I've loved every moment of it. I love the coverage that it's got. I love the fact that we've got seven, eight cameras, um, replays, analysis. The analysis has been so fundamental I think to the growth of the game um and at Sky it's been given that platform and and that amount of space and airtime to be able to to really go places I think that's the bit that the women's football um community have been enjoying the most from from some of the the feedback that I see 
it has its challenges as well. You know, I know that sometimes there's been criticism over evening matches and fans being able to get there and get home. And we understand that sometimes um, our hands are tied in that regard. You know, we're waiting on each other to take picks between Sky and BBC sometimes. And there's only so many slots that we can provide that we know work. And there has to be uh, an element of trusting the TV scheduling to a degree on that. Um, and trying to work in conjunction with fans. And I understand that that notice periods and and, and getting those schedules announced early enough really helps. Um, and we, we want to do that. We want to be in collaboration with clubs and fans to try and grow the attendance at matches as well as the viewing of them on Sky. So exciting, isn't it? It's, it's brilliant mm. to see. I The first time I was able to sit down and watch the analysis, it, I was just like, this is this is amazing. This is amazing. They've got They've got replays. Yeah. They're, they're calling the they're calling the players the correct names oh still it's it's it, but it makes such an impact though doesn't it I know we joke but do you think that it's had an impact on the crowds as well yes I think it has I think people have caught our coverage from being on sky and from people who are just football enthusiasts I know for a fact we've got new audience mm-hmm. and new people coming to the game who've who've maybe cast dispersions in the past and thought that it was one thing and then have dipped in and realised it's another. I know that from extended family who now watch it and talk to me about it. And I never had anyone. I mean, I've, I've been working in women's football about, well, it's over a decade and never before I've had so many conversations brought up about it from, from people. Um, it used to be something I pushed onto others. <laughs> so that's that's really refreshing um I think people appreciate the fact that there isn't as much diving um I think people appreciate as well that the players stay around and give all the autographs afterwards and certainly spend their time with fans the accessibility I think that's really important we try and hold on to that as much as possible I understand when big money comes into the game that you can't please everyone anymore um, there will be so many demands that you have to filter some of those through. But I would, I would really want to see the game not go down the direction of of the men's in that regard because you can, you can't get near the players. Um, and and I think as a fan, that's a huge part of the experience. Um, although, don't keep asking for their shirts. I would yeah. Say, yeah. <laughs> put the put the signs away, please. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't yeah. get that many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, it's funny you mentioned that Mark's after the Old Trafford game, Mark Skinner did an interview um, and he said that his daughter was absolutely obsessed with Ella Toon, like obsessed with Ella Toon. And it was because she felt like she could like reach out and she was like physically there. You can see them. They, they're tangible people. They're, they're, um, they're not just people that we see running around on the screen. They, they feel like real people. And that's why it's kind of so exciting. But the last question is a controversial one. I have to, I have to admit, but it's a big question that we've asked on the podcast this season. There has been some questionable refereeing decisions um, throughout the the league so far. Um, Even if we just take it down to the goal line and whether balls are over the line or not. VAR, yes or no? What do you think? 
Not yet. Um, goal line technology, yes. So I think if a ball's crossed the line, um, I think we should have the technology to alert the watch for the referee to say that the ball's crossed the line. I, I think that's a completely different thing to implement than, than full-scale VAR. We can't have that conversation, to be honest, about VAR until we've had the conversation about full-time referees. So it has to come in that order. So that's why it's not yet. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure about it anyway. Is it working brilliantly in the men's game? I would argue at times it isn't. So I would like to see the standard of refereeing at the same level of every, as everything else. So we have professional playing contracts, coaching contracts, uh, physios, whoever's involved in the game, they're nutritionists, they're, they're all professional now. Um, all the way through to professional journalists sat in the stands who have been paid to be there, myself, part of a TV, um, a TV company that are, that are showing the games. We're all paid. So it, it has to follow suit. The only people that aren't fully professional are the people running the game in the <laughs> middle of the park. Um, that, is, that is a huge oversight. It has to come up to speed. I know there are challenges around that around getting people to that level quickly enough. It's clearly gone under a different stewardship this year. I think the standards have been hit and miss. I think sometimes, I'm not going to say it's all critical. I think some games I've been at, they've been pretty good referees. And then other games, I think it's been a bit questionable at times. So that standard has to come up. and But that comes from, from within... The, not only the collaboration between potentially the FA and the, and the referee world of PGMOL, um, it takes time. So coming back, that is why it's not yet. It would be way too soon. It would make no sense. And there would be a clamour for something that is so hugely expensive that we don't know whether it would even, if it can't be marshaled right, it can't be officiate the officiating isn't at that level then it can't be used in the in the correct way let's move on to the national league now in the north it's a massive congratulations to wolves as they've yes. now been crowned champions i mean did i just let my allegiance out there did i just show <laughs> well this is i'm glad you're i'm glad you're so enthusiastic about this because they they beat sheffield ladies 2-0 but it doesn't guarantee promotion to the championship though does it they also have to beat the winner of the National League South to secure that one spot in the championship. Is the system fair? Does it need to be changed? Should we be seeing two teams maybe promoted and two teams going down? Yep, I think we're seeing change at the moment pretty much everywhere else in this game and it needs to also be reflected in grassroots. So there's change happening. We need to get with the programme, stay relevant not archaic in our systems and changes for good sometimes we can't we can't advance the top level of the women's game to the to the point that we are and think that the pyramid structure underneath it doesn't also need to change otherwise it will crumble so yeah i think there there are some key changes that need to happen um key investment that needs to happen further down the chain and i i just think in the past, we've been too quick to just pull the plug on the lower grassroots women's game. We, we said, oh, you know, it's been COVID affected. Let's just stop it here. Let's stop it now. Let's stop. Well, actually, we should be then taking the narrative now that we should be trying to get through to the, the bitter end, whatever. Um, 
and also giving more incentives for those teams lower down the pyramid to want to continue and I think we also need to thank our volunteers and the lifeblood of the game that keep it going week in week out more I don't think they get enough credit third place filed close to within a point of derby after a 2-1 win over Stoke Faye McCoy, who missed two penalties last week, stepped up once again and this time converted. And Amy Hughes added a second right on the stroke of half time. Nottingham Forest had an emphatic away win at Middlesbrough as they scored seven goals without reply. Charlotte Greengrass took home the match ball thanks to her hat trick, with two from My Moncaster, with Naomi Powell and Amy West also on the score sheet. Other results saw West Brom trot draw 2-2 with Brighouse and big away wins for Burnley and Huddersfield. The Clarets won 6-2 at Loughborough Lightning and Huddersfield won 5-0 at already relegated Hull. In the south though it's all changed at the top as Southampton leapfrog Ipswich. The Saints beat already relegated Hunslow 5-0. The first half goal from Shannon Seavright was added in the second half by Ella Pousset who bagged a double. Kira Watling and Sophie Farrow also scored. They move a point clear of Ipswich, who could only draw 1-1 at home to Chichester and Selsley. Amelia Hammond had given the visitors the lead in eight minutes. They held the lead all the way through to the 77th minute when Lucio Bryan's header brought the scores level. It means an exciting climax to the season, with the title not yet having been decided and the relegation battle still very much in the balance, with a point for the Chichester and Selsley keeping their slim hopes alive. They now have to win their last two games and hope that Plymouth and Cardiff slip up. Plymouth did go down to defeat as they lost 2-0 at Crawley Wasps. Amazingly, Crawley Wasps have not yet drawn a game this season. Oxford United remain third after a 1-0 defeat at Bridgewater United at Fairfax Park. MK Dons still have some work to do to secure their survival as they were defeated 1-0 at home to Portsmouth. Many thanks to Lindsay for joining us this week. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast and give us a like. We will see you all soon. 